Well, Reader's Digest requested and actually printed for this month um, some of the tricks that its readers used to play on their siblings when they were young, growing up. You may have in mind something you might have done to a sibling of yours when you were a kid. Some of them are uh, really comical. I'm going to share a few with you. Uh, one says, I blew up a, a very large weather-sized balloon in my sister's closet one day, so big that she could not even get through the door unless she would pop it. And what she didn't know is that I filled it with glitter before I blew it up, and for the next month, she sparkled every day when she went to school. That was a really good one, I thought. Um, my brother told me, that every time it was raining, one man wrote in and said, God was crying because I was so ugly. <laughs> At age six, somebody wrote in and said, I was uh, starting to eat my Brussels sprouts, and my older sister leaned over and whispered into my ear, if you eat those, they'll turn into heads of lettuce when they get in your stomach. And then the writer said, I still haven't eaten Brussels sprouts, and I'm in my mid-50s now. Yeah, listen to this last one. Um, right before my brother's third birthday, I let him in on a secret. I told him, do you know what happens to you when you turn three? You'll turn into a girl. <laughs> it's true. It happened to me, and it happened to mom when we were three, and now it's going to happen to you. And for the rest of the week, the rest of the week, she wrote in, whenever her mom mentioned his birthday coming up that weekend, he burst into tears, just crying, <laughs> worrying about what might come to pass. Well, all in fun, maybe a little damaging. And as I've said before, Jenny and I always joke about our kids growing up, um, that they'll work it out in therapy, any damage that was done unintentionally uh, when they were younger. But Joseph's brothers, and this story, this report of Genesis in chapter 37 today takes sibling rivalry and jokes to a whole deeper level. That's not joking anymore, right? Right. In this story where they plot their brother's murder, we see the need for some things in life that that God provides for us and that we need to be reminded of today through their story. And the first of those is that we need God in the world and in our life to bring order into chaos because just left to ourselves, it seems that we tear the world apart, don't we? It does. It seems that, that time and again we, we worry, we fear, and, and we realize wars that break out. Hatred that comes unglued, all kinds of, of difficulties and, and harm that is done to people when people are left unattended. We just seem to, to have a way of tearing each other apart. Don't think that it's just by chance in this book of Genesis, this very first book of the Bible, that it ends with this story of Joseph. It begins, you remember, the book of Genesis with, what? The story of creation. It is the, the account of the Bible that tells us how, how God spoke order into the chaos of the universe. 
if you will, and brought out of nothingness something, the world in which we live, life, the gift that we have, that we all live each and every day. God brings order out of chaos on a, a scale that we can't even fully conceive of with the universe and with uh, solar systems and with planets. And as the world is brought together in that, that beautiful and lovely story of how things came into being, God provides and puts the pieces into place of, of life as we know it and life as we live it. There was water and then there was land, there was light and there was darkness, there was, there was sky and, and atmosphere, and then there was the plant life that is upon the world. There's the animals of the earth and those in the sea and humanity. God creates man and woman and breathes life into them. God brings chaos and puts it together in a way that brings order. And that's what happens in the story of Joseph as well. It doesn't seem like it today because we're in the chaos part of his brothers trying to undo him and to finish him off because he's a problem. And yet, we will see by the end of this, by the very end of Genesis, how God brings order into this family and into the animosity and the hatred that is there between he and his brothers. That's the second thing. We need God to bring us order in our world in the midst of chaos for people to to treat one another with respect and with general love, but we also need God to guide our families and direct us how to live together in love. Families are important, and the building block of a society and of, of people for us to have a fulfillment of that means that we seek God out and allow God's grace to permeate our relationships and live among us and allow us to live together in forgiveness and in understanding, even when, when we may not agree with things. I was reading this past week uh, Dr. Rob, Robert Alter's uh, commentary on the book of Genesis, this chapter 37. He's, he's a professor of Hebrew and comparative literature at, at UC Berkeley, and he points out how how far the divide is and how deep the hatred is between Joseph here and his brothers, his 11 brothers, that are plotting to kill him. Not only do they plot to, to kill him, even though they are very aware of the story, we think, in their faith heritage of Cain and Abel. You remember the story, right, that, that one brother kills the other and God condemns them for spilling his brother's blood upon the earth. And yet, Joseph's brothers are so enraged with jealousy at him that they plot to do the same. And not only that, but to throw his body into a pit and to a cistern meant to store water in, in that arid region, in the desert. And Dr. Alter talks about how in, in the Hebrew faith that burying the body is so very important out of respect to God, even in wartime. Um, civilized societies will bury the enemies after the battle is done 
But in Joseph's family, his brothers intend to not only kill him, but to dispose of the body in a callous and cruel way that is so very other from God that it's just hard to conceive of, he writes. And I mentioned last week their father, Jacob, who was renamed Israel. Do you remember his name was given to him when he wrestled with God? That's what it literally means. But they grew up in a household of of trickery and chicanery. Jacob, the father of the nation Israel, was, was not the best of the bunch. And yet God chose Jacob, their father, to bring about this great nation of people Israel in the world, not just for themselves, but to be a blessing to the world as well. And it is inconceivable almost at this point reading about what is happening here in that family that God would use that and redeem that in such a way that it would be a blessing not just to them but to others to the world I want you to think about your family today and whatever things you have going on or whatever disagreements or arguments that may be brewing whatever divides there are whatever feelings of jealousy or animosity there are between siblings, remember that God's guidance can help us to redeem what seems irreparable. He can bring about the gift of grace and forgiveness and love even when it seems beyond the ability. God's gift of grace is is moving in this story of Jacob and bringing that order that is needed in a chaotic situation and family. And God can do that in your family and my family as well. Throughout history, we, we think that we've got it so much together two, 3,000 years beyond this old historical tale. But, but it's been a work in progress, hasn't it? Humanity has. Hopefully we've gotten better at things along the way. We certainly live longer. We have better technology, better medicine, better health, and other things as well. But in relationships, it seems that we still need something to glue us together. We still need something beyond ourselves, and that is God. We all need God's guidance in our lives, but but especially in our family relationships, where the stakes are high and where things matter the most, where things can get chaotic just on a daily basis, when, when arguments or disagreements may not be going on. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God brings about peace. Remember, in this time when Joseph's brothers were plotting this, the, the idea of, of God's instruction, God's law, the Ten Commandments, that later would be received by Moses several generations beyond, had not yet been introduced. So Jacob and his 12 sons were not aware of what God intended exactly. They knew that murder was not right, but they didn't know how to live and love together in a way that was respectful of one another. There is, through that religious law, the Ten Commandments, forging together of a nation, of that larger extended family that shows them ways in which to put God first and one another above themselves, and so live in a way that that can be beneficial for all. 
and, of course, that law, that God speaking and writing those instructions and guidance to, to Moses and presenting to them, them to him on the mountain would later and even further be spoken into the world through God's Son, Jesus Christ. We all need Christ in our families as the fulfillment of God's instruction and direction, and we get great blessing and receive it through him as we live so accordingly. And so the need is presented in this story today of Jacob's brothers plotting his death, trying to gain financially from it, and trying to fool their father into believing that they had nothing to do with it that would come to manifest itself at the conclusion of Joseph's story to show that, that even in, um, in all that they tried to plot and do, God would, in the end, reign supreme over that. That's the last thing for today, our, our need for God in the darkest moments of life is lifted up and illustrated in this story. Not just through the, the wayward brothers that, that were as if a gang trying to plot the murder of, of their father's favorite son, but in Joseph's life being taken advantage of and seized upon and cast into the darkness, if you will, of this cistern. Imagine what that must have been like to have those that you trust most and expect the best from and desire encouragement and purpose and meaning from to take advantage of you and to cast you into the darkness of a well to be left there just to die altogether. What a dark place it was for, for Joseph physically in this story, but what a dark place it is for all of us to be spiritually cast out and all alone in a pit, if you will, unable to find our way out on our own or by ourselves. You might have been there before. I've been there before. If you haven't, I think all of us at some point will be in a dark place where we feel so, so far away from God and from God's help that we think we'll never get out and we will just despair and disintegrate. This story of Joseph reminds us, though it's a dark place for him to be in the story, that in the end God will, in some way or another, pull us out of the dark places and place us back into the light. It's a hopeful thing to know that God is with us in our darkest moments of life. And throughout the scriptures there are references where we think in reading the story of the saints and of the people of faith, that, that they're down for the count and out forever. We have a God that throughout the story of Scripture, throughout our lives, throughout our witness of faith, draws us out of the miry pit as the psalmist cries out to God, desiring for salvation from. We have a God that, that is one of, of tombs locked away with death and darkness and shrouds, breaking open the rock and busting open what seems to be sealed and done forever and shining light and bringing life out of it once again. 
we are a people that believe and, and know that we have a God that, as the disciples experienced, being locked up in prison and put away because they wanted to share good news of God's love with all people, that we have a God that is willing to, to open the doors and free us from those prison cells of life, those dark places. And all of us, in some form or fashion, have or will experience that. I've known parents on this Father's Day I'm thinking about who has lost children along life's way. Nothing is right when a parent loses a child, no matter what their age is, grown or small. And what a dark place it is for a parent to sit there and to think, God, where were you in all of this? And why couldn't you save my child from, from not dying and leaving me before I have left this world? It is a difficult thing to come to terms with, impossible to make sense of, and yet we believe. We know that God doesn't leave us all alone in the dark times, but God is with us even in the bottom of the pits, even in the times when we feel that God is non-existent, or so far away from us. God is there with us. We can't explain why bad things happen to us and why we have those pit evil moments, if you will. But we know that it's not God that is throwing us there just to be all alone, fallen into despair and darkness. We know that it is God that desires to pull us up and to help us along the way. What a great Sunday this is on the church calendar. Look at it on the top of your bulletin. It says Trinity Sunday. Because we know that God is so dynamically a part of our lives and willing to be with us. This God who has created us and given to us life as a, as a heavenly parent, um, one that brings us into existence, and, and as Alicia so beautifully said in the children's moment, just simply wants us to to acknowledge and to follow him. God is this, this Savior that, that gives a son to come into the world, steps down into our life and into our darkness, and shows a sacrificial love that only, only can be of God, that affirms for us that we are his children and beloved, truly loved. And God is present in the here and now, filling our hearts and our minds, not just on Sundays in this place of worship, but every moment as we walk through life, as we so invite God to be a part of us. It is a beautiful thing that God is with us in our deepest, darkest, most difficult moments. And it is uh, a need that we all desire to have to 